this is the first president I've known where everything is about him. He's willing to assert any norm, any law, any sense of decency, just just to protect himself. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Today we spend the hour talking about the assault on the U.S. Capitol by domestic terrorists that was incited by President Trump. We're joined by Senator Patrick Leahy and Representative Peter Welch, who were both in the Capitol when the attack occurred. At this moment, the U.S. House of Representatives is holding a debate to impeach President Trump for, quote, incitement of insurrection. It's expected that following a bipartisan House vote later today, President Trump will become the first president in American history to be impeached twice. Representative Welch will join us in the second half hour of the show. We begin with Senator Patrick Leahy. Senator Leahy, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. David, it's good to be back with you. It's uh, We'd love to have you here in Washington covering this live. I think you'd find it fantastic and unnerving. Well, tell us what happened to you when the attack occurred on the Capitol. Well, be- before I do that... I- I had said, even Wednesday, I said uh, Donald Trump should resign. And somebody asked, why would you say that? I said, well, look at uh, Richard Nixon had committed crimes. He resigned. Now, Donald Trump's crimes are far, far worse than those of former President Nixon. If you have a President Nixon resigning for his crimes, Trump should resign for his much greater ones. And, and here's what happened Wednesday. We were, um, we were debating on the Senate floor, and all, virtually all the senators were there, which is unusual to have all of them there at, at the same time. And some men came rushing in. I recognized one of the uh, Capitol Police plainclothes People and they went right up onto the where the presiding officer sits. In this case, is Vice President Pence. They said to him and kind of hustled him off. And another senator uh, went to take the seat to continue presiding. And within minutes, he was hustled off and out through a, a back door with security around him. And people were running onto the floor. And I looked at the man next to me. He was carrying an automatic weapon, uh, long gun, and uh, had on sort of battle gear, but pointed to a sash he was wearing, which said police, and he and he pointed to his badge. And then others uh, came in with drawn weapons. Everybody was looking at that. Their cell phones were out taking, taking pictures and... Uh, and are you speaking of, of rioters, or are you speaking of police officers? These were all police officers. But they were saying, we, we have to ban it. We have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. You could hear noise outside. Um, we have a procedure we follow down a, a set of back stairs, and then you take the uh, tunnel, the connects the three Senate office buildings and go to the last one where there's a secure room for all of us. And we, nobody waited for the trolley cars. We just started walking quickly down there 
people carrying guns beside us. You walk under the 50 Amer- American flags of 50 different states. You go under that, and <clears throat> I don't want to seem sentimental, but I looked up at Vermont's flag, and I said, Vermont, I'm not going to let you down. And we just continued on and went to a holding area where we tried to get information. Fortunately, a couple of TV sets in there. We could turn them on, and we're watching live what's happening in different parts of the Capitol. I mean, you might see this in a made-for-TV movie or something, but it was hitting all of us Republicans and Democrats alike. This was real. Well, now, (laughs) I don't think it was hitting all of you alike because what we then saw just a few hours later when you reconvened was uh, Senator Hawley rise after Senator Cruz had done so previously and challenge the legitimacy of the vote. And he was a total of seven senators, ultimately signed on with over 135 House members, to amplify the demands of the rioters to invalidate the election. So I'm wondering, um, do you believe that Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley, at a minimum, should be expelled from the Senate for championing Trump's big lie about losing the election? I think at the very minimum, they should step down from the Judiciary Committee or any committee they serve on, which is going to be reviewing what happened. What was interesting, Cruz spoke first, got only a little bit of support in the Senate. That was before the insurrectionists hit the uh, Capitol. Hawley spoke after we came back, and several other senators were going to speak in support of his position, and they all let the leadership know they're not going to speak. Uh, Alum... And so Hawley was the last one to object. The House, we go back and forth to the House chamber, carrying the uh, certificates of election back and forth with us. If uh, if the House objected to any state, the objections couldn't be heard or voted on unless uh, a senator supported it. Cruz and Hawley were the last senators to do it. We had a number of House members stand up. Uh, I thought foolishly and disgracefully make their motions uh, stand there like, look at us, uh, making their motions to uh, disqualify the electors. And then they look over to the where the senators were seating on the uh, House floor waiting for somebody to object. Nobody did. And they're looking kind of uh, dejected themselves. And, of course, uh, Vice President Pence would say the, uh, without objection from the Senate, the electors from whatever state it was are accepted. And I remember how excited I was when he accepted Vermont's because that that put uh, Joe Biden over the top. But you could feel a market change on the floor of the Senate. And 
the uh, as senator after senator who would reserve time to speak and object said they're not going to object. Well, I, I just want to be clear. You're suggesting that the Senate Judiciary Committee that uh, Hawley and Cruz uh, either recuse themselves, I'm not sure what you're saying, but, but these don't seem like, I mean, the, the talk in the House is of expulsion. Do you agree with that that should be the action, the remedy for this in the Senate? Well, well I think for the good of the country, they should resign from the Senate. They're not but they're not going to do, do that. that. But, but yeah. let me finish. The Senate Ethics Committee is going to investigate their actions, and they'll make recommendations to the Senate what to do. I believe in the uh, Senate Ethics Committee in the past. It's been equally strong than both Democrats or Republicans who have broken uh, ethical standards. I'll wait for their their response. But the you know the Senate is supposed to be the conscience of the nation. These two are doing this for their own political uh, aggrandizement and an absolute embarrassment to the Constitution, to our country. And it falls into, especially as they're uh, reaching favorable for crimes. Look, look at what look at what Donald Trump has done. Uh, two out of all the terrible things he's done, two major crimes. In the past few weeks, one is his calls to Georgia trying, uh, as an access would make him an accessory to fraud, trying to get them to change the vote. Now that, uh, any prosecutor could look at that and say that's, that's breaking the law. Then, when he incited a riot, there are major state and federal laws against that. He should be prosecuted as a criminal for it. And that's why I say Richard Nixon resigned for far less crimes than what Donald Trump has done. He should resign. And if he doesn't resign, even if he's out of office, I think the Senate should move forward and convict. The House is going to impeach or become the only president in history to be impeached twice. Uh, even if he's out, uh, out of office by the time it comes to the Senate, we should uh, uh, we should vote to convict. When do you think that Senate trial should take place? Well, <clears throat> one, it can't take place until the House sends the papers over, and I'm sure they they will negotiate with our leadership on that. I don't know when the papers are going to come over. I think we should be prepared to do the trial as soon as the papers come to the, to the Senate. And those who say, it, some of the president's supporters saying, uh, will it be disruptive or be divisive? That is such a disingenuous statement. You know, these are the same people that were voting to overturn a free and fair election last week. And now they say if we call the president to account for his criminal activity, they were being divisive. Uh, as some have said, accountability for authoritarian violence is not divisive. That's democracy. And we have got to make sure 
and this is something Republicans and Democrats should join on, to make sure that this kind of a authoritarian violence is soundly condemned. But we're going to face more of it. We're going to face it in Vermont. We're going to face it in every single state. We're going to face it in in the U.S. Capitol. I, I, uh, my office is, is uh, dean of the Senate. My office is uh, just a few feet from Nancy Pelosi's. I looked at the damage done uh, in that area. For some reason, mine was was not touched. Um, maybe because there's no name on the door. But walking through the Capitol early the next morning and looking at the damage, I put on my Instagram page one of the uh, windows that are basically bulletproof, but the outside was smashed. And through it, you can see the uh, looking across through the window the Supreme Court of the United States. I took the picture just uh, as a demonstration. Let's keep all three branches of our government uh, going. Uh, Some of the people that have come here, one of the new senators, obviously has had no history lessons. He talked about he knows the three branches of government. He says the House of Representatives, U.S. Senate, and the president. We had to explain to him, no, Congress is one branch, the judiciary is another, executive is another. But can, can you imagine kids going to school and seeing this stuff? Uh, the outrage I've heard from throughout Vermont, from Republicans and Democrats alike, is terrible. The president, as I said last week, the president should resign. Do you think you have the Republican votes to convict and uh, the president uh, in the trial in the Senate? We keep hearing that uh, outgoing Senate Majority Leader McConnell is, you know, kind of waffling, sending little signals that maybe he won't object. Um, what do you hear from your colleagues? I mean, will you get any Republican votes? Well, as as we were going back under. <clears throat> heavy guard to the Senate chamber. There were some who were talking that way. How they're going to feel now, I don't know. Too many have said, how will this affect my re-election? Well, re-election be darned. Um, yeah. This is the country. This is our Constitution. If any, uh, the, the president's committed, it's obvious, serious crime. Every single one of the senators who's been a prosecutor, Republican or Democrat, has said to me, of course it's a crime, what, what he did. The, if they really believe their oath of office, if they really want to defend the Constitution, they should all stand up and say, yes, there's a crime, we'll vote to convict. What do you think will be the lasting impact of Trump and Trumpism? I think a breakdown of an understanding how the country is supposed to work and what we stand for, Uh, enormous damage worldwide. I've talked with uh, 
people in government around the world I've gotten to know and have listened to their concern. It has been a gift to uh, Putin and Russia. It's been a gift to Xi and the leadership in China because uh, it is so greatly diminished our standing worldwide, and they're going to try to fill in for there. It is going to require an enormous amount of work by the new president to even begin to put us onto the, the stand the United States faced before. But I also think there's a very, very real problem in our own country. You know, we have, uh, we see it in Vermont, but we see it throughout the, the country. What are they teaching in school? What are they saying about the Constitution? Uh, the, do we go by something that might be on a, uh, a blog somewhere or do people actually read or listen to the news anymore? You've been uh, involved with normalize, normalizing relations with Cuba, and one of the Trump's last acts was to designate Cuba a state sponsor of terror. And he seems to be sort of uh, trying, doing his best to undermine the incoming Biden administration. What's your reaction uh, to this action against Cuba? And how easily is it going to, will these actions, uh, you know, that seem like intentional sabotage of the new administration, what will it take to undo them? It's going to take some effort. I, I looked at the tweet that Pompeo sent out about that. He's got a picture of himself uh, probably taken when he was in his 20s or 30 years old. He's just doing this, hoping that he can run for president and that he might get some of the Cuban-American vote in uh, in the Miami area. Good Lord. What a shallow, awful reason. The Trump administration made it right from the get-go. They're against anything that uh, President Obama was for. They've undermined our health care. They've certainly endangered our security abroad. Uh, they've hurt the environment. I mean, I could go on and on and on with a list of things they've done just to show they are different than the Obama administration. Um, I've told President like Biden he's going to have a heavy lift to try to repair just the damage that's been done even before he can get into his own agenda. Cuba is, what they've done in Cuba is stupid, stupid, stupid. And, you know, if Cuba really wanted to stick it to us, they'd say, okay, Russia, come on in in international waters and then uh, dock one of your missile-firing frigates in Havana Harbor. They'd be perfectly legal doing it. There'd be nothing we could do about it. That would be an example, but I'm sure they're not going to do it. But you know who's going to be hurt? It's the young people who are trying to create jobs, trying to create a free uh, society in Cuba, the people who are using the Internet to talk to each other, who are not the uh old communists, the aging leadership is in Cuba. Marcel and I spent a lot of time with 
some uh, young people who were setting up B&Bs in Havana. It took them a great deal of work just to get the things they needed, but they could count on American tourists, Canadian tourists, others coming down there. Now where are they? I'm sure they're all out of business. Uh, I'm going to go back uh, this year and see how many of them have been able to make it, but the school exchanges with the United States and with other countries cutting down the exchanges of medical research is being cut back. We are hurting the people that uh, Trump and Pompeo say they're trying to protect in Cuba. We, uh, The United States has created a devastating blow to them. That doesn't mean everything the Cuban hierarchy has done has been right. Of course not. There are a number of things where I've not only openly disagreed with, I've talked with the Cuban uh, leadership face-to-face and told them where I disagree. But to act as though this tiny, impoverished country is some sort of a threat to the United States makes us look foolish in the rest, of, in the eyes of the rest of the world. In, uh, in one week when uh, President-elect Biden is sworn in, uh, you will become the chair of the powerful Appropriations Committee in the Senate. What's your top priority for your first 100 days? Well, we've been we've been working uh, for the last month in case that happened to get ready. Uh, and one of the things I'm I'm doing uh, uh, is I'm going to bring every Republican and every Democrat in at least for have one uh, meeting, probably a couple. We sit around the table without anybody else, just us. And say, okay, folks, how do we get this country back together? The Republicans and the senior Democrats I've talked to seem very, very encouraged by that. Uh, let's go back and start spending money for things that really help America, that really uh, uh, does things, and gets us back on track. I mean, one thing we can look at is COVID. You know, they... Uh, uh, Joe Biden was right when he said COVID happened on uh, Trump's watch, and he wasn't watching. And we have suffered as a result. And uh, it's going to take a lot of work. We'll, we'll, uh, I've talked to the incoming Biden administration. We'll get the money. It has to be a priority on COVID and try to protect our country. But then I want to see realistic spending uh, in education, in infrastructure, uh, in our foreign policy. I think it can be done. It's going to be an awful lot of work, but I, the reaction I've been getting, and we spent a lot of weekends, a lot of evenings on this reaction I've been getting from other centers in both parties uh, has been very uh, very encouraging. I think that a lot of a lot of people say uh, too many of them ran for cover during Trump's time and didn't want to stand up to him. I think they realize that's a mistake. So we got to come back together. Will it be everybody? No. So can I get majority votes? Yes. And, and I have two things going for me. One, I'll be the 
chairman of the most powerful committee uh, in the Senate, and I'll be the president pro tem of the Senate. What does the pro tem, what powers does the pro tem have? One you don't want uh, makes me third in line to the presidency. And if something happened to the president then the vice president and the speaker, then I become president. That, I pray, I never have to use because I mean that this country faced some horrible event. Uh, we are taking certain steps, even for Inauguration Day, uh, on that. But also, the president pro tem can take over the chair anytime he wants, no matter who's presiding, unless it's the vice president, and can help direct where um, where objections are heard or not heard, direct where uh, who is heard and who's not heard. But it also has a symbolic one. Uh, there's usually respect shown to that person because it Usually the dean of the Senate. How do you think, Senator Leahy, uh, the Trump, Donald Trump, will be remembered? I hope he'll be remembered in history as a disaster to our Constitution, uh, one who has tried to subvert our laws and our government, a person who has lied constantly, and finally was impeached twice because of that. I would hope that this will never be a model for anybody, Republican or Democrat, as, as a future president. Uh, I, the first president I spent time with as a new senator was uh, Jerry Ford, who had taken over, of course, when, when Nixon resigned after committing far lesser crimes than what Trump has done. But every single one of these presidents, I felt that on very important things, they wondered what was best for the country, not what was best for them politically. This is the first president I've known where everything is about him. He's willing to assert any norm, any law, any sense of decency, just, just to protect himself. Okay, well, Senator Patrick Leahy, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation this week. Thank you, and thank you for doing this. And listen, I know you're going to have Peter Welch on next. Peter has been working very hard on this, and I'm so proud of him. Mr. Speaker, I'm happy to yield one minute to the gentleman from Vermont, Mr. Welsh. gentleman from Vermont is recognized for one minute. Uh, Mr. Speaker, our government is founded on the principle all power flows from the people. Donald Trump challenged this principle in two ways, deceit and violence. We continue our discussion about the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and where we go from here. We're now joined by Vermont Congressman Peter Welch, who spoke a short time ago on the floor of the U.S. House, arguing in favor of impeachment. If we want unity, we must have accountability. So the question before this Congress Will Congress condone through acquiescence or condemn through impeachment Donald Trump's violent acts to overturn the election? Gentlemen, Congress time's expired. Gentlemen from Massachusetts, I, reserve. I spoke with Congressman Welch yesterday. Congressman Peter Welch, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you. 
I want to start just, uh, I know that you are in self-quarantine right now. So how are you feeling and, and what led to you having to be quarantined? Well, first of all, I feel great. And uh, yesterday I had a negative COVID test, so that's great. But what happened is, you know, I was in the, in the, in the house gallery uh, during the attack and we were evacuated and we went from uh, the attack by the mob uh, to a COVID unfriendly uh, safe room. Uh, there were a couple hundred people in there, nobody social distancing, you couldn't, you couldn't do that. Many of my Republican colleagues um, refused to wear a mask. And already a couple of uh, uh, members have been, uh, uh, gotten a positive COVID uh, test. So obviously there was a lot of jeopardy for anybody who was in that room. And I'm trying to be as cautious as I can be. So I'm saying uh, in my, our apartment in Burlington, my wife is down in Windsor County. But good news, I got a negative test. I'm cleared to fly back to Washington and tomorrow morning I'll get another test and hopefully another negative. There was a, a viral video of one of your Democratic colleagues who was passing out masks and it, it was just shocking to see um, the Republican members, uh, Steve Scalise, who is what the deputy minority leader or I mean, yeah, is whip. the whip, uh, I mean, lead people in leadership sitting there smugly refusing to put on a mask and essentially saying that they were willing to jeopardize their colleagues health and lives. How, how do you really, square that at this moment? Well, I don't square it. I think it's appalling. I mean, the, the reality is that. Uh, this argument, it gets politicized. You know, for Trump, it, he denied we had co coronavirus. It'll just magically go away. So if you put a mask on, uh, you're, you're denying the Trump version of uh, unreality. And a lot of my Republican colleagues have picked that up. It's like they're, they're wishing that coronavirus didn't exist or pretending it doesn't. So putting on a mask for them is a concession uh, to the reality of the coronavirus, which doesn't meet their political narrative. And obviously that's absurd uh, and incredibly dangerous. And it's one of the reasons why we've had the highest number of cases and the highest number of deaths in the world. Uh, but it really is appalling in that situation where we're all forced to be in this room because of the attack and there's not enough uh, graciousness uh, and just common decency in my view uh, to put on a mask, even if it is just to make other people feel uh, a little more confident and comfortable. So I can't explain it, but it's appalling. Yeah, it, it gives new meaning to the term toxic environment uh, of, of the Congress. Um, you know, the obviously the most shocking thing of last Wednesday was just the physical assault by domestic terrorists on the Capitol. But Second, a, a, a close second, or or maybe a little more uh, distant, was what happened a few hours later, uh, which is that, uh, you know, let's just back up and recall that this entire President Trump could not wage his fight against the election outcome on his own. He needed help, and it came from your colleagues. Uh, Trump built his case on a lie, and the lie was that he won and that the election was stolen from him. Um, so I'm just quoting from today's New York Times. More than 135 House Republicans, including the party's two top leaders, ultimately voted to throw out millions of lawfully cast votes, fulfilling the rioters' demands and answering Mr. Trump's call for Congress to subvert the election results in his favor. 
that happened as smoke was still in the hallways of the Capitol. My question for you is we're now at a moment of accountability. Should those members who voted against respecting the election outcome be expelled? I think some of them should. Uh, you know, that's an appalling vote in my view because uh, they they were enablers of Trump. And Trump obviously has the responsibility. He was uh, manufacturing this lie about the election even before votes were cast. He doubled down after he lost the election. No evidence whatsoever. And then his enablers who have public authority, my colleagues in Congress, uh, all supported that lie. And lo and behold, many of the folks who supported uh, those colleagues of mine uh, believed it, and they really did believe it. Now we're going to hold the, the enablers of the Trump lie accountable uh, if they told the truth. Uh, so uh, some of them, like Mo Brooks, I think in particular, who went to the rally uh, and exhorted people to go down to the Capitol and kick some ass, I mean, that's his words, mm -hmm. uh, I think he should be expelled, uh, that he was inciting insurrection and uh, on top of uh, advocating for the uh, reversal uh, of, of an election result by the people and wanting Congress to seize control over who would uh, be the president of the United States. So I think that uh, there is accountability that goes beyond Trump and it includes some of my colleagues. But you know, there's two things, David, that are, that are, that are really quite new um, and uh, have gotten support here in this movement. Number one, uh, the president was advocating reversing the election. And that's never happened before. Uh, and that's a norm that's been broken and is absolutely critical to the well-being and durability of our democracy. But the second thing that's more ominous, and this is going to continue, uh, Trumpism will continue even without Trump. There's an acceptance of violence as a legitimate uh, political tactic. And that's what happened at the Capitol. The president exhorted people to use force. People felt entitled to use force. It was based on the peddling of the big lie uh, that it was a stolen election, stop the steal. So a lot of those folks who invaded the Capitol, and they had no basis to do that, no right to do it, no matter what they thought, but they did believe the big lie. Trump knows better, my colleagues know better, and they were the enablers in a, destroying that norm of accepting the outcome of election and be accepting the responsibility we all have for peaceful uh, political engagement, not violence. Back to the issue of accountability. So you, you're, how many of your colleagues, there were hundred more than 135 House Republicans, how many of them do you think should be sanctioned or expelled? You know, there's two parts to this that I think are, if we're getting into the actual action of sanction or expulsion, one is how active were they in the peddling of the lie? Uh, like Mo Brooks was out there in front. Holly is pretty disgusting. Cruz, pretty disgusting. Uh, they played a very active role. And there's some indication that some of those, many of those folks uh, had interactions and cooperation with some of the leaders uh, of the attack. That's a level of active engagement that I think warrants much more significant uh, response. Um, the second question, some uh, uh, of the, my Republican colleagues w voted uh, be, out of fear for what would happen to them electorally if they didn't. Uh, that's a vote. It's a vote I actually deplore. 
but uh, a, a mere vote without actual complicity, I think, would be, from my perspective, a different call than for than versus uh, Mo Brooks actively inciting the insurrection uh, when he was at the podium with the president. Will you be voting for impeachment, assuming the Twenty Fifth Amendment is not invoked? I will. I will. And my my, uh, the, the, we have to do this because of the magnitude of what Trump did. We have to act quickly. Uh, and there has to be some accountability. My hope is that the Senate likewise would act very, very quickly because uh, yes, we have to move on this, I believe, view of the conduct, uh, but we also have to uh, take advantage of the opportunity that the American people gave us by electing Joe Biden. And we have to help him succeed on addressing the two uh, urgent matters at hand. One is COVID and the other is the economy. Do you worry that uh, the impeachment proceedings dragging on into the first days of the Biden administration uh, will hinder him being able to get done what he wants? I do worry about that. Uh, and that's why I think we've really got to do it very quickly. Uh, you know, we just can't have this be uh, what the Biden administration starts off with. So the facts of what happened are visible to every American. People have to make decisions. We're going to vote on it on Wednesday. I would hope that the Senate would act very, very quickly. Uh, obviously, it would take, I guess, 17 Republican senators to actually do the impeachment. And if there is impeachment, of course, that means that they can also vote by a majority that uh, Donald Trump could never hold federal office again. Uh, but I am absolutely concerned that in addition to accountability, uh, we create opportunity for the Biden administration to get off to the good start that it needs to deal with COVID and the economy. What do you hope to see accomplished in the first 100 days of the Biden administration? What are the highest priorities in your point of view? It's COVID in relief. Uh, I mean, we've got to get a coherent COVID strategy. We've not had a president who's taken this seriously, and we've paid the price for it. We're now going to have a president who knows how deadly serious this is. And it's everything from uh, trying to get uniform approach and buy-in on the personal measures all of us can take with wearing a mask and hand washing and so on, uh, and getting that vaccine distributed and shots in our arms. And then secondly, we've got to make certain that uh, the economic devastation to our restaurants, to our uh, performance spaces, to our families, that there's federal aid to help folks get from this side of the bridge uh, to the other side where COVID uh, vaccine will be uh, have been widely administered. So we've got to help people get through this economically as well as help them get the vaccine in their arm. We're seeing that the initial rollout of the actual vaccination programs is not is going quite slowly, far more slowly uh, than was anticipated. And there's some hope, I'm sure you share this, that by virtue of getting competent people and solid leadership in place, that this can be quickly corrected. But um, how concerned are you in seeing uh, how dysfunctional many of the operations are? Although I should point out Vermont is doing relatively well, um, as we have been on a lot of the COVID stuff. But what do you think it's going to take to you know, sort of write the course of government right now? Well, you know, first of all, it's going to take a leader that takes it seriously. I mean, Donald Trump, does he simply doesn't take it seriously. 
he undercuts his public health officials. Um, he tw spends his time tweeting and watching TV. I mean, he, so you can't have a response that's effective when the person in charge of the response is denying the existence of the problem. So we're gonna be in such a better place where when Biden takes the oath, this is his job one. His chief of staff, Ron Klain, of course, was the uh, Ebola czar, uh, SARS czar under uh, Obama. So he has got real personal experience about the mechanics of how you address this. Uh, science will be now uh, paramount. And I think you're going to get a much you're going to get a much more coherent uh, and, and, and a effective response because you're going to have a president and a team uh, that is really working on this from uh, morning to uh, 24 hours. So that's uh, but the challenge is huge. I mean, getting 350 million Americans vaccinated, uh, where you have to keep the vaccine in some cases at like minus 90 degrees centigrade or whatever that temperature is. That's hard. I mean, it's a real challenge. And the only way you can address it is by uh, being on it, on it, on it. And we're gonna have a new administration that takes that approach. So it's gonna get a lot better very quickly, even though it will still be very demanding and slower than all of us would want. We're hearing about agencies having been hollowed out in the Trump years, senior staff who uh, just simply abandoned their posts. They left government. Um, and we're hearing about efforts in the final days of the Trump administration to sabotage the incoming administration from being able to get things done, the latest of which was, you know, declaring Cuba a terror state. Uh, the, the former British foreign, foreign minister described what's going on as diplomatic vandalism. Um, how do you how big of a problem do you think this kind of scorched earth, burn the house down exit is going to be for Biden? It's a huge problem. I mean, you're, you're, it's like coming into the Capitol after the mob was uh, uh, removed. There's shattered glass everywhere. You know, uh, some of the artwork uh, was disfigured, the statues. There's a mess all over the place. Uh, and morale uh, is, is damaged. You know, these Capitol security guards literally uh, were under attack. One of them got killed. Others were beaten and they didn't have the resources they need. Uh, staff who were there uh, hiding under desk while mobs were like in Nancy Pelosi's office or Steny Hoyer's office. That, that is a direct vandalism. But what you have is that scorched earth, it's a good word for it, approach to these institutions uh, like the State Department, just as an example, that manifest the Trump contempt for institutions. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of cleanup to do uh, from the damage that Trump has done and it continues to do and will do as he's walking out the door. As the end of the Trump presidency nears, how do you believe it should be remembered? Well, it's a catastrophe. It's just such a degradation of uh, our widely held uh, democratic principles. Uh, you know, every president in my lifetime, uh, at least made an effort to take advantage of the opportunity that the presidency provides to be the unifying figure in our country. And obviously, you know, even people like Nixon, who was terrible uh, and did Watergate, I mean, he started the EPA. Um, 
you know, they and saw himself, uh, the president see themselves in the role of trying to bring us together, even if they have uh, sharp political disagreements uh, uh, with the opposite party. Uh, Trump doesn't doesn't do that. He made a decision, which worked for him, that he would try to rule. Uh, by maintaining the loyalty of the minority. You know, he had about 40, 44% approval. And the way he maintained that was by feeding the base with racism, with sexism, uh, 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 with ethnic attacks. Uh, and that division was his tool to maintain power. And you see that right up into uh, his speech to the mob on January 6th where he is exhorting them successfully to overturn an election and attack the Capitol. Uh, so uh, he's an outlier. He will be unique. Uh, and, you know, his incompetence probably is what saved us. Uh, there was a lot of incompetence in the mob leadership because they had the opportunity. They had the Capitol under their control and they were within just feet of taking out uh, the line of succession, Pelosi, uh, Pence, Pelosi, Grassley, uh, and uh, you know that mob was yelling, "Hang Mike Pence! Hang Mike Pence!" So that's a memory uh, of, of that's going to be the memory of Donald Trump. Do you think? And this is uh, may seem a little premature, uh, but because I'm an eternal optimist, even in dark times, what good can come of this experience? You know, it, I, I, I don't know that much good can come of this experience. I think I have your kind of optimistic orientation. And my optimistic orientation is that we've got to deal with the situation we have. And the opportunity that I see is that COVID and the economic consequences of COVID has been really de devastating, whether you voted for Trump or you voted for Biden. And for us to be successful in getting on top of COVID, uh, we've got to be successful for everybody, red state, blue state. And for us to help, for instance, uh, the economy, let's say we're talking about the Vermont tourism industry or Vermont restaurants you know, that have just been hammered. Well, we've got to help them, but we've also got to help those restaurants in the tourism industry in Oklahoma, uh, in Indiana, in, in, in red states, okay? So uh, that's... And, and if we're going to get it, broadband internet that we need uh, in Vermont, we've got to get it everywhere. So there's an opportunity for us to remember that we are all in this together and that by trying to find common ground, despite our dis disagreements, uh, we can do things that are going to be broadly beneficial uh, to all Americans. So that's the hope I have on this. Uh, but where you have literally the invasion of the Capitol, <clears throat> violence deployed, <clears throat> violence being advocated as a legitimate tool of political power. Nothing but bad can come out of that. And that's what uh, Donald Trump promoted. There is a rally, uh, uh, sounds like it may be, you know, with people with open carrying of weapons planned for Montpelier, apparently, we are hearing. And of course, this is planned for every state capital in the country. Do you how concerned are you about, um, you know, what do you know, first of all, about levels of coordination with, you know, Trump leadership, 
or uh, and and how concerned are you about this kind of resurgent white nationalism, right wing militarism? Very concerned about it. It's real, and that's what we saw on display on January sixth. I mean, there and and it's really why the failure at the leadership level uh, among the security people was so profound because there was a lot of very explicit discussion on uh, some of these open sources about the plan to attack the Capitol. Um, and what you've seen is now uh, there's been an empowerment. The mob was successful in breaching uh, the defenses of the United States Capitol. So how many others around the country who believe these conspiracy theories are gonna get together and show up in Montpelier, show up in uh, capitals around the country? How many are gonna show up at the inauguration? Uh, I know there's much higher level of concern among the security people today than there was on January 5th, uh, but I am concerned about it. And it, it goes back to my concern of two things. One, the ease with which uh, conspiracy theories that are outright lies are easy to peddle and people believe them. And then when they believe it, they feel empowered to resort to violence uh, to address what they believe uh, is an injustice. And that's a really bad place to be in politics where people believe lies and act on them and where they resort to violence feeling entitled to do that. The Republican caucus is being referred to as the Sedition Caucus. Various names are being floated. How are you going to be able to work with members across the aisle who voted essentially to advance Trump's big lie? Um, these are now your colleagues moving forward. No, it's hard. You know, the reality is that um, uh, I've worked very well with Republicans throughout my political career. In, in Montpelier, obviously totally different there, uh, and, but even in Washington. But this is a line that no one of us have, have a right to cross, to basically in, in, uh, uh, enable uh, a president who's telling a big lie about an election and to stand by idly and silently when there's an effort to reverse the results of a, of a, of a democratic election and where that conduct was very instrumental in leading to the violence that we saw. So that's a line that regardless of your political orientation, you just don't have a right to cross it. And it's very disturbing to me. So my approach uh, is gonna be to just work on issues. Uh, like for instance, uh, just, just by way of example, broadband, everybody needs it. And, uh, uh, I, I, and so I'm gonna keep advocating for things that are universally important, not just to us in Vermont, but all around the country. Because at a certain point, I think we've got to deliver economically for a lot of people who have been left behind uh, with this globalized economy. So for me, it'll be by doing my work on the issues and if Republican colleagues wanna join me, uh, uh, it won't be with the same affection uh, that I've had in the past. Uh, intolerance, uh, which all of us have to have for people with whom we don't agree. Uh, it, but I do see them differently, the ones who vote basically to disenfranchise so many millions of Americans. Okay, well, um, we're out of time here. So Congressman Peter Welch, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Um, thank you. Really appreciate it. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. 